Well, good morning, everybody. It was sad what happened to Steve this morning, that our poor brother would uh, have such bad shoes that they would fall apart when he came to church. Uh, I think we should take up a collection for him, don't you? <laughs> but it's fitting, you know, that his shoes would fall apart here. It is, it is a place for lost souls after all, right? So I watched the guys getting baptized today, Jimmy and Rowan, and it occurred to me that someone wandering into our service this morning would be very confused about what just happened here. Hot tubs are for backyards or for spas, but in a church? Come on, what's going on? And they would ask questions in their confusion, but it also occurs to me that some believers who should, who, who should know what is going on have a shaky understanding of baptism as well. They might know that all believers are commanded by Christ to be baptized, and that is true, and they might have some idea that it's tied in with declaring your faith, and that's true. But the rest is kind of sketchy. To help clear away some of the confusion, I want to give you five words about baptism. Baptism is symbolic of great truths and it's very rich in meaning. So let's look at five words to describe baptism. First of all, it's a commemoration. And uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, and I don't know if up there there's a typo. Uh, Romans 6, 1 to 3 says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Death, you say. Did we just witness a death? I think both candidates did make it uh, alive through the water. Did, by the way, did we do a head count? I don't know if we did, but I think both of them made it through. So it's not a death we witness, but it's the commemoration of a death. Indeed, it's the celebration of a death. Let me illustrate. Some of you may have noticed my sweater. It says Toronto Blue Jays repeat World Series champions 1993. It's a pity that we couldn't make a sweater for this year, but they, they missed. They, they didn't get into the playoffs. But in 1993, they got into the playoffs and they won the World Series. Now, I realize that many of you weren't around that far back and can't remember that, but some of you were. And you don't care what happened in the sport of baseball, and that's okay. But for those who care, we won the World Series. I say we, not because I was a member of the team or any of us here were a member of that team, but because they, the Blue Jays, represented all of our hopes and dreams and they came through for us that year. So when Joe Carter hit his famous home run, we won. So we celebrate the victory as ours and we commemorate it. And this is what is happening here. That's why I still have this sweater. 
But here in this tank, we are commemorating how Jesus died for us on the cross and rose again. When did we win the World Series? 28 years ago. When did we die to sin? 2,000 years ago, we died to sin. When did, this, did, when did this death happen? It happened 2,000 years ago. That is when Jesus died as our representative, as our substitute. And by dying, he won a mighty victory for us. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he took our sin. He became the sinful person on our behalf. Not that he had any sins of his own, but he took our load of sin upon himself and he carried it to the cross. And he died as a sinner, not because he was a sinner. So he didn't just die for us, he died as us. That's because in our very nature, as human beings, as children of Adam, we are flawed, we're corrupted, we're sinful right from birth. Like some terrible birth defect that no medicine or surgery can correct. And that birth defect called the sin nature is lethal. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, as in Adam, all die. So it's not just that we're sinners. We've got this corrupt nature this evil root inside of us that just keeps sinning and can't stop sinning. So the Lord had to do something about that. And so when he died, That's guaranteed, you see, in the fact that Jesus represented us, died to sin on our behalf. No, Christians aren't sinlessly perfect, neither am I, and I know that that applies to all of us, but we have a perfect Savior. So we commemorate the death of the one who took our place, and we affirm that we are his. That's what these baptized ones have done today. They're confessing that Jesus is their Savior. And they're saying, I'm a Christ follower. His death was my death. His resurrection, my resurrection. There's another verse in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, and it says this, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. 
Now, new players on a baseball team, you know what they do? They signify that they belong to that team but by putting on the team sweater. This is what our candidates have done, in effect. They have put on the sweater for Jesus' team. Maybe we should, maybe we should have some sweaters made up, not with the, lo- the Jays logo, but with Team Jesus on it. And we should hand them out to the baptismal candidates. Maybe, maybe not. But you see, it's commemoration. A second word for baptism is this, it's commitment. I commit to holiness for Christ. In the same passage in Romans chapter six, he goes on in, in uh, verse 11 to say this, in the same way, in the same way that Jesus died on our behalf, I want you to practice that kind of sacrifice, that kind of death to self. And these are the words that he uses. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Now notice that the writer is appealing to believers to make a choice here. Five times in this passage, he indicates a choice needs to be made. Let's count them. It says, verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's decision number one. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Decision number two. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. Decision number three. But rather offer yourselves to God. Decision number four. As those who have been brought from death to life. And decision number five, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Decision number five. Choice, choice, commitment, 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 decision, decision, decision. And on this day, these two young men, Jimmy and Rowan, they made a choice. They made a decision. And what's that decision? They decided they were going to follow Jesus and all that entails. In order to follow Jesus, it's a path for holiness. People who don't practice holiness would be most uncomfortable when they get to heaven because the whole place is holy. The whole place is holy. How many people want to go to heaven? Everybody raises their hands, you see. How many people want to be holy? Fewer people raise their hands, you see. We want to hold on to our sins, but you can't do that in heaven. It's a holy place. Heaven is a holy place. So we can't have our sins and be in heaven at the same time. And when we become Christians, you see, we're not perfect. We've got sins. So the Lord sets about to remove our sins from us, to remove those sinful habits. And he wants us to agree with that. He wants us to be on board with that because he's preparing us for heaven. So he appeals to to. Christians to make a choice, and the baptismal commitment is a, is a commitment to holiness. 
Now, for these, these commands tell us that there must be an act of the will, a desire to stop living according to the desires of that old sinful nature. And this alone should prove to us that the old sinful nature is still alive and active as ever. It's not dead yet. Some people believe that, that when, when Christians get saved, their sin nature dies. I, I, I can't feature that one because it doesn't, work, it doesn't work in me. I know my sin. And un, unless I choose to follow God, I fall back into those sinful ways. That's the sin nature. It's what we do by default. It's what we do when nothing, no one else is looking. It's what we do when we, when we want to be bad. That's the sin nature. You know, to say these words to a Christian who supposedly doesn't have a sin nature, these words count yourselves dead to sin, is kind of foolish. It's like going into a graveyard and, and, and saying to people, hey everybody, Listen to me, I want you all to stop sinning. Well, that, that message doesn't work in a graveyard because they've, they're finished sinning, they've died. Doesn't make sense. We still have to wrestle with our sin nature. That's why uh, Paul starts this passage with the question, shall we continue in sin? He's talking to Christians. He says, are you gonna keep sinning so that grace may increase? Oh yes, the Lord will forgive your sins, but is that what God intended for you? That you keep sinning and he keeps forgiving you. You keep sinning and he keeps forgiving you. Absolutely not. He's preparing us for heaven. He wants us to become holy. And he wants us to choose that path voluntarily. We must choose to stop doing something and start doing another. Now that we belong to Jesus, he doesn't want us to live according to the dictates of that sinful nature inside of us. He wants us to learn to say no to its rebellious desires and to live for him in holiness. And this process begins by a commitment of our bodies to God. We stop operating under the old premise that our bodies are ours to do with as we please. Well, my body is mine. I can do with it as I want. That's, that's the, the credo of the, the world today that touts its so-called freedom. It's not freedom. It really is bondage to sin. Because the body just wants to sin. So we have to surrender the right of government of our bodies to God in order to do his will. It says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. You're not your own anymore. Let that sink down into your heart and into your mind and into your will. Now, if this sounds like a loss of freedom to you, then you are understanding it exactly right. Jimmy and Rowan have just given up a lot of freedom. They gave up the freedom to do their own thing in life. And they made a commitment to go Jesus' way and to follow him. If we choose to submit to a no, the new master and give him total allegiance, and the passage puts it this way, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. Yes, it's a loss of personal freedom. Ah, but the reward is that we enjoy true freedom, 
that comes from being a slave of Jesus Christ. We enjoy victory in life. And it says in the passage, we surrender every part. It's kind of interesting. First of all, it says you surrender yourselves to God. And then it says you surrender every part. He repeats this for emphasis. That's because we tend to fall into sin in, in one part or another of our life. A part of us rebels. Some of us is good, the rest of us is not. Maybe it's in our mind we rebel. We start to think evil thoughts. We start to have evil imaginations. We start to have lustful desires in our mind. We need to, to surrender that mind part again. That's why it says surrender the parts of your body. It's like the mechanic. At the, when you take your car to the mechanic, he says, well, this part is good and this part is good. This part is bad. It needs to be replaced. And that's just like us. We got parts that are rebellious. So we got to surrender every part. Maybe it's our sexual desires. We need to surrender that part again. Maybe it's the emotional parts of us. We lose control of our temper or we give way to fear. It just means that a part of us is being rebellious and ungodly and that sin nature is manifesting itself. So that area needs to be surrendered again to our baptismal commitment. Lord, got a rebellious mind, cleanse my mind. I've got a rebellious mind. I surrender my mind again. Lord, my feet take me where I shouldn't go. I surrender my feet to you, my path, Lord. I surrender my sexual life to you, Lord, because I've been, I've been sinful in that part. I surrender it again. And we surrender not only in the parts individually, but we surrender on an ongoing basis. Ongoing basis. Commitment on a daily basis becomes part of the devotional life of the believer. So this is not just a one-time commitment. This is, this is symbolizing a daily commitment. Lord, I'm yours. I want to live today for your honor and for your glory. Please empower me to do so. That should be on the lips of every believer every day. Daily choice, because on the day that you don't choose to live for God, you're probably by default going to live for yourself. You've got to renew your commitment. That's what keeps me living a baptized life. This was the prayer of commitment of our Savior when faced with the awful expectation of the sufferings of the cross. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Luke 22 and 42. Can you imagine the Savior had to recommit himself? at the greatest trial of his will, his willingness to receive the awful cup of suffering of the cross, Jesus made a recommitment of his will. And that's what we're supposed to do. We just keep surrendering and surrendering and surrendering. We, we commit, we commit, we commit. That's what a baptized life is like. So we've got commemoration, we've got commitment. The third word that I want to share with you is cleansing. Cleansing for holiness. 
In Acts chapter 22, verse 14, Paul says, get up, or the, the Lord said to Paul, get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Acts 22 and 14. Now, in Jesus' day, people were very familiar with baptism. The pious Jew would ceremonially bathe as a sign of purification from the sin and defilement of the world around him and in his heart. When John the Baptist came, he announced a baptism of repentance, and the people who were baptized by John were confessing their sins to be purified from them. It wasn't that the water had some kind of a miraculous potion in it that washed sins away. No, but it was the desire in their hearts for a spiritual cleansing from God. And the baptism of John was a symbol of their desire for that spiritual cleansing. Now, this idea of cleansing carries over into, into Christian baptism as well, and this verse tells us. Because Paul was told, get up, be baptized, wash your sins away. Make that commitment and practice cleansing. And Peter offers this rather interesting verse in his uh, short epistle in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. He says, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. You say, well, how does baptism save us? Well, once again, it's not a ceremony that saves us. It's not some kind of holy water in the baptismal tank that, uh, tank that, that makes us a saint and washes our sins away. It's not that. But it's the practice of a baptized life that saves me. A cleansed life. Because a cleansed life saves me from a dirty life. A sanctified life, sends me from, a sanctified life sent, uh, uh, saves me from a sinful life. Many a believer has ruined their testimony for God because of some sin that they hold on to and they won't let go of. So it says in the verse the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Now the idea of a pledge of a good conscience can, can also mean an appeal to God for a good conscience. I'm making a pledge, Lord, I want a good conscience. And I'm asking for a good conscience. I want you to clean my heart, Lord. Whatever it takes, please cleanse me. Not just on the day that I'm baptized, but every day of my life. Till I see you in glory. There's an old hymn that I used to sing. It goes this way. So cleanse me now without, within, or purge with fire if that must be. No matter how, if only sin die out in me, die out in me. So the person being baptized is celebrating how Jesus has washed their sins away, yes, but also committing to a life of cleansing on a regular basis. And I don't need to take a ceremonial bath for this, as the Jews did, but I do need to pray and ask the Lord to cleanse me. Psalm 51 describes this cleansing process. It says in Psalm 51, David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Lord, I've sinned. 
So I need a spiritual scrub. Ask me, the Lord says, and I will wash you and I will cleanse you. Will your sins be red like crimson? They will be as wool. In other words, I'll be washed. And when you're washed, the stain of sin is gone, and you've got to believe that. When you say, Lord, wash me, the Lord washes you and makes you clean again. One day, one day Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you have, you have no fellowship with me. Then Peter said, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus replied, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. Now, Jesus was teaching Peter the value of cleansing. The whole body cleansing is like the first cleansing I receive when the Lord forgives me for my sin and washes me and makes me whole as I become a Christian. But subsequent washings of the feet are necessary to remove the defilement of our hearts on an ongoing basis. Christians need to be aware of the contamination of heart and mind on a daily basis. And we need to seek this cleansing regularly. And I believe a constant prayer in the Christian life needs to be this, Lord, wash me. Can we say it together? Lord. Wash me, wash me, cleanse me, cleanse me. So we have commemoration, we have commitment, we have cleansing. And the fourth word I'm going to say in connection with baptism is this, conflict. Conflict, conflict in life. Baptism is a symbol for trouble. When we say he received a real baptism there, in a secular sense, we're, we're saying he went through a, a real trial in his life. He went through a lot of conflict in his life. Jesus was one day asked by his disciples, James and John, if they could sit beside him on his throne in glory. And Jesus replied in this way. Now, James and John, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink? or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Now the cup Jesus drank was nothing less than the pain and the suffering of the cross. The baptism was the suffering he endured there. And believers who want to follow Jesus will face conflict as well. In the new song that we were singing this morning, it had a verse about that. I'm gonna face conflict. I'm going to be walking in the world that rejected my Savior. And if I'm going to walk with Jesus, I'm going to face the same kind of conflict that Jesus faced, the same kind of trouble, the same kind of pushback that the world gives to people who want to walk holy for Jesus. So baptism is a symbol of conflict, trial. There will be some pain. There'll be some suffering. We will face conflict. But you see, it may not be so obvious in Canada, but it's obvious in other parts of the world. Those in communist countries are often persecuted for their baptismal commitment. Sometimes it's a death sentence. When you get baptized, 
Those in Muslim countries may be shunned by their families and friends. But here in Canada, there, there's, there's a very real possibility of conflict, a conflict after back, baptism as well. Jesus himself was baptized by John the Baptist, and immediately after that, it says this. This is Jesus. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. Baptism, trouble. That's what happened to Jesus. So immediately following his baptism, Jesus entered into a prolonged trial where Satan attacked him. Now, Satan just doesn't like it when Christians get serious about their faith and choose to be baptized. He just doesn't like it. He doesn't mind silent Christians who don't say boo because they're not causing him trouble in his desire to destroy the Christian witness. But baptized people who want to live for good and want to live for God they're trouble to Satan, and he's going to come after them. He will attack in various ways, and believers need to be ready for it. But you see, in this verse, it's the Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. So what's going on here? God himself orchestrated Jesus' testing and trial and the conflict that he endured. Likewise, God himself will test our faith, not to destroy it, but to strengthen it. Because you see, a faith that is not tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Tested faith is what God wants. And when we face conflict and we endure that conflict and we endure that, tri that trial for Jesus' sake, our faith grows, our faith becomes strong, and it becomes a trusted faith. God is giving us opportunity to show our love for him as we willingly endure conflict for Jesus' sake. Now, we don't ask for trials, but they will come. And when we choose to live for Jesus, we can expect opposition. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Therefore, conflict is an integral part of the baptized life. And we learn to accept it because it leads to glory. You see, after the death is resurrection. If we share in his death, we get to share in his life. And that takes us to the last word to describe baptism, consummation. Now, consummation means victory. It means success. It means completeness. It, it means achieving the final goal in life, consummation. And those who were baptized today have started on a path to true glory. They have taken hold of that which is life indeed. I talked with a young Christian not long ago who was going through some hard times, was having some health problems. He'd recently been laid off from his job. And he said, I'm going nowhere in my life. I'm a failure, were his words. So I had to remind him of the truth that was in Jesus. So I said to him, now this is God's view of your life. I've just heard your view of your life. Okay, you're really down. And you're really in despair. But that's not God's view of your life. This is God's view. 
You have become a child of God, and so you're a son of the King of kings and Lord of lords. That, has, that already has made you a winner in life. Being a Christian has already put you on a path to glory. But there's more. You are in the school of God. Now, some people say, well, I went to Harvard. You know, it was one of the best schools. Christians are in a better school than Harvard. They're in the school of God. It's the most prestigious learning institution in the universe, and you are learning to follow the Lord of heaven and earth. And one day, in glory, you will rule and reign with Christ forever. That is your manifest destiny as a child of God. Now, does that sound like failure? Does that sound like failure to you? No, it's success. This is the recipe for success. That is true victory in life. Every day that I endure for Jesus' sake will result in, it says in 1 Peter 1 and 6, praise and honor and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. It says in Romans 8 verse 17, if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. Consummation. So there you have it. Five words to describe baptism. Commemoration. I'm celebrating the fact Jesus died for me and I'm identifying with his team. Commitment. I'm choosing to live for Jesus, to die to my old ways and to do what the Lord wants me to do for him. Cleansing. This ceremonial washing is a commitment to a a life of being cleansed spiritually. And my constant prayer will be, Lord, wash me. Conflict. I know this road will not be easy. There will be trials and conflicts as I walk counter to the ways of this world and seek to serve the Lord. But I'm willing to bear the pain for the Lord because I know it will result in his honor and my blessing. And then consummation. All the while I'm keeping my eye on the prize, the day when I stand before my Lord and I hear him say, well done, because I want the reward he gives. The rewards of this world pale in comparison to the reward that Jesus has for me. So I've made this my life mission and I know there is no better way to live life. I'm looking forward to consummation. If you are a believer, but have never been baptized, then please consider this as your next step of obedience. The Lord wants you to get on this path. It leads to victory. If, if you are a baptized believer, there's a word for you in this. Keep committing to a baptized life today. Don't think that baptism is something that happened to you 10, 20, 30 years ago and, and, and it, it's lost its significance. Don't think that way. Make a daily commitment of your life to the Lord. Pray for cleansing daily. Be willing to suffer with him every day and look forward to consummation, look forward to victory. That's living the baptized life. And if you're not a believer and you've not trusted in Jesus at all, then listen to the testimony of these two young men, how Jesus has changed their life. 
and choose to trust the one who alone can save you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.